start with uh, something light. I, think, I don't know if we're going to do this all the time, but I think about Frank Zappa because Aaron is a Zappa fan, and I just mm-hmm. saw a really great quote. You by think Zappa. about Frank Zappa? Wow. Yeah. Yes. Thanks to you. Thanks he to, thinks thanks about to Frank you. Zappa. Thanks to you because of our you know brotherhood here. Um, a mind is like a parachute. It doesn't work if it is not open. Mm. Frank nice. said that. So, so we're opening our minds today. Yeah. Um, so this week we're talking to Dylan Quarles. He is a man of many talents. He, we are speaking to him today about his uh, books. One of his newest books, "There Will Be Monsters." He writes uh, science fiction. Among there be monsters. Things. There be monsters. There, there be you monsters. go. There be monsters. Oh, it's a common mistake. It gets made more than yeah. you. Yeah. Like. Somebody. Somebody typed it. That was my fault. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then I did read that book. I just don't always incorporate the title into my psyche. Mm. Uh, I am currently reading the um, first book of the Runes of Mars trilogy. I'm enjoying that thoroughly. All right. Uh, just in case you wonder if I liked There Be Monsters, I bought one of your other books. Well, that is a, um, that's a ringing endorsement, I would say. You're also a filmmaker. Um, you're doing a biography of, uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, welcome, Dylan Quarles. Did I say your name right? You got it. You nailed it. Nailed it. She's stuck to finish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm Lisa Huey, and people have gotten my name wrong. It doesn't bother me, but it's funny. It is funny. When you have, when you have a name like Quarles, you get used to all kinds of interesting takes yeah. on it. And when you spell Dylan with a Y, you get used to some Dillions and stuff too. Or Dylan. I, I've, I've gotten that one before, if you can believe it. I believe, yeah, I believe that. Our our, um, our great nephew who lives upstairs, his name is Dylan. He's 11 months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I he think spelled- he's a D-Y, yeah. Yeah, he's a D-Y. Well, thank God, because I was going to have to just like log off if it was a D-I. <laughs> Are there a lot of D-I's? Too many. There's too many. America, really? if you're if you're listening, and I know you are. Let's mm-hmm. knock it off with the D I L L O N. Yeah. We're looking at you, Matt Dillon. Yeah. We I'm always looking at well, Matt Dillon. I don't know about name, everybody though. else. I mean, <laughs> that's different because that's a last name. Are there first names with Dylan? Oh yeah. A D I L O N. Really? People always try to spell my oh, name that way. And not just people at Starbucks, which I don't go to Starbucks anymore because of that their evil union busting. And I finally have a platform to say that outside of like the comment section of TikTok. So achievement unlocked. So, yeah, I mean, I'm impressed by a number of things. Uh, the number of books you've written, the sheer number, the sheer volume of books you've written right off the top is very mm-hmm. impressive. What What are you, mid-30s or something? Uh, I am exactly that. Mm-hmm. And I will say no more. <laughs> I'm 56, and I don't care. Like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm solidly in. person on the podcast. I'm okay with it. I'm solidly in my mid-30s, and I'm loving it. Yeah, it was a good time for me. We're talking about three, uh, two trilogies, or at least one trilogy and one three-part. Yeah, the history of Port Townsend is a three-part uh, story. So so far, so, yeah. And so it's continuing then. It is. I'm actually working on volume four, mm-hmm. uh, not as we speak, because unlike Aaron, I can't multitask like that. But I, I mm-hmm. am working on it in general. My small town, which actually uh, I live in, Port Townsend. That's why I'm writing the secret mm-hmm. history of it. And Port Townsend's a really small town. So, I mean, as a city, there's a lot of lore, a lot of history, ghost stories. Oh, yeah. This town, uh, I encourage anybody listening to Google Port Townsend after this program, obviously. Or 
You could do it concurrently. Yeah, if you hit want. pause. Like, we don't care. Yeah, come on. When you come back, this will be even more cool. Finish the listen, though. Yeah, definitely. And, and rate five stars and tell your friends. <laughs> um, Port Townsend is really, it's an old Victorian seaport, and there really aren't many of those on the West Coast. Uh, mm-hmm. It was originally intended to be the the big city in Washington State, um, but the railroad never came here. And the bay was too shallow. And these are all things. How that far kind of get... north south wise is it? Like halfway? Uh, no, no. It's it's at the tip of the uh, Olymp- It's at the tip of the Quimper Peninsula, which is itself a protrusion of the Olympic Peninsula. So it's it's right there. Like if I go for a walk at North Beach, I live on a peninsula, so there are many beaches. Mm-hmm. One is called North Beach, and you can imagine which direction that faces. Sure. Uh, if I go for a walk on North Beach, which I do all the time, if you want to assassinate me, you can find me there. Uh, and my phone will ping me and tell me welcome to Canada. That's okay, how well, that's where so we are. Very we're, we're way yet. up there. Yeah. We we learn about in school the pig war, which I'm sure no one else learns about because why would you? And this was a yeah. brief war between America and Canada over an island that started when somebody killed someone else's pig and it was like a disputed island territory type of deal. But Port Townsend has got ghosts out the wazoo because of all these cool old victorian mansions that are everywhere uh from from the like cap sea captains and the robber barons and that used to all live here uh when it was really thriving and um you know you you can't you i I think it's like a rule in the ghost community and i i don't know this for a fact because i'm still among the living but um victorian mansions cannot be unhaunted i think it's like they must be haunted so there are dozens of victorian mansions in this house or in this town therefore there are dozens of ghosts to go along with them uh and then on top of that uh the military came here in the late 18s early 19s and they built a massive military fortifications called fort warden um they dug tunnels they built bunkers all along the coastline um they put in gun batteries uh, all kinds of artillery and mortars and all kinds of neat stuff uh, because the way that an attacking vessel could get to the larger cities like uh, Seattle, Tacoma, Olympia, the capital uh, would, they would have to come down into the inlet there. They'd have to come down into mm-hmm. the Puget sound. Uh, and in order to do that, they'd have to go right by Port Townsend. If you came in from the Pacific ocean, you'd have to go right by Port Townsend. And so the army built these installations here and there so that like no one could do that without getting blown to smithereens. And when they left, they left all that stuff. Obviously they took the, the ammunition, they took all the guns, but they left the bunkers. And as a result, uh, Fort Warden is just honeycombed with subterranean tunnels and chambers. And a, a lot of it is cool. still, is still open to the public. Like all of the above ground stuff is open, but if you go poking around enough, you can find your way into some tunnels that go deeper and deeper until you're wading through like brackish water and there's no light. And um, so it's all just like so ripe for your imagination. If you have a really active or overactive imagination, like I did growing up and I grew up here. So um, I used to tell myself all these stories. Like I was always asking what's the story of this or that, is that house haunted? And someone would say, yes, okay, well, by what ghost? And they would tell me, or sometimes they didn't know. So I was always filling in the blanks when I couldn't get the official story. Mm-hmm. And when I moved back to town, I was like, no one's telling these stories. Like there's a few like haunted tours and stuff, but no one's like trying to really broadcast it. So that was the 
uh, motivation behind the secret history for uh, Port Townsend series was to just start to tell these stories and to like build out the lore. Some of it reflects the actual lore that exists in town and has been passed down. Some of it is what we could call creative interpretation, or like I said, you know, me telling myself these stories as a kid. Um, So I have a story about Fort Warden, of course. Um, I have a story about the boatyard. I grew up in the boatyard and I do a cryptid for that one. Um, I'm from a nautical family. My dad was a shipwright. So I I spent a lot of time down there in boats. I was was going to ask if you had a lot of sailing experience. I do. I definitely do. We still have a family book I just read. Yeah. 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 Right. It's funny. Yeah. No, I definitely do. I went to sail camp as a kid because you got to you got to do it. And my family has a boat. We have a sailboat. It's and it's a wooden boat, no less, because that's big out here. Wooden boat culture. Um, And then the third secret history is about witches, because there is always rumors of witches doing witchy things in all these tunnels that were left all over town. Um, And there was tunnels even before the military came here. Famously, Port Townsend was a town where people would get shanghaied back in the day. So it's just a town with a lot of cool history that I want to bring to the world and also uh, put my own spin on it, so to say. So um, that's a really fun series. I'm glad you brought it up because it's sort of just like in its not quite infancy, but like whatever's after infancy, like toddlerness. Yeah, it's, it's just a it's a little baby series. It's but it's picking up momentum. Like Ruins of Mars is my juggernaut. It's my tentpole. Uh, that I, I believe the first one came out like ten years ago, yeah. and that is the that's what really launched my writing career, the Ruins of Mars. But uh, Secret History has been my new passion project. So you're you're kind of a uh, local historian, then. I mean, uh, I mean, I know it's mixed with the the lore and the and right. I'm sure, I'm sure the local ghost tour guy, if he's listening, of course, I know he is. Why wouldn't he? He's probably screaming in his car right now that like, I'm getting everything wrong all the time. And he's the guy that does the haunted tours. And he's the one with the top hat and yeah. the big like walking staff. That leads well, but he should time. be your expert. He should be my, You're we should be friends. Yeah. And he's the right, expert. right, right. He, right. Yeah. Yeah. He sh- we should be working together. We should be collaborating. So yes. guy that walks around with the top hat, with the skull on it and the walking stick and leads people on tours. I don't know your name. I'm sorry. <laughs> Come find me at yeah. North beach. Stop collecting souls. And sounds like Jack Skellington to me. <laughs> he is a little bit of a Jack Skellington. Uh, you know, he's tall. He's willowy. He's he's acting the part. You know, he's doing his thing. He's got his business. Yeah. It's humming along. And I've got you mine. You guys get a lot of tourism up there? Big time. This is a tourist yeah. town. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 like it's a big tourist town. And the Wooden Boat Festival uh, happens in the summer. It's the biggest that- Wooden Boat Festival in the country. It's like we do. Is that all- island you were talking about? Do they make fudge there? They might. I mean, everybody oh, makes fudge there's everywhere. Like some, there's like some obscure island. It might, might be on the East Coast off of Maine or something, but that they're just famous for, you know, they're like this little tiny island uh, almost actually, in Canada famous for their in fudge. Michigan. Did you see Michigan? that on a documentary recently? I saw it on something. Like a cooking recently. show or something. Yeah, there is there is an There's a couple of actually really neat it's islands. Mackinac. Is that what it is? Is it Mackinac? And, I, I might be wrong. But there's, uh, a, there's a couple of like the artisanal scene out here. This is like why it wouldn't surprise me if there was an island that was making fudge. The artisanal mm-hmm. scene out here is thriving. And there are a couple of islands, uh, San Juan Island specifically, and then another one, uh, Orcas Island that are nearby as the crow flies, at least. Uh, they've got like they're they're like little microcosms of artisanal coolness because they are not spoiled by like the outside world and the mad dash of you know consumerism and whatnot. 
Um, I think this is right. I think it is Mackinac. Yeah. But it, it's yeah. one of them. Yeah. Mackinac Island is famous for their fudge. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I know that I'm pretty sure it's up near Michigan State uh, because um, my sister in law and her uh, fiance at the time went up to Michigan and she bought us fudge while she was there on the famous island. Mm. And um, she ate it on the way home in the car. What? <laughs> Why would she even tell you that? Well, she's special. <laughs> That's the kind of secret you take with you to your grave. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. That's the kind you of never secret you need a Taffy Ouija didn't board make like. it home. What Taffy? Yeah. <laughs> she, maybe she had dirty chocolate fingerprints on something after she, yeah, right. after she touched it and gave, yeah. it, gave herself away. I mean, you're painting a picture of a pretty mystical kind of place. I mean, it's yeah. sounds pretty, it sounds pretty cool. You know, yeah, that sounds that's fun. the hope. That's the hope, right? That's, yeah. what, I'm, yeah. that's what I aim to do um, with the Secret I, History series, at least. Yeah. It's got an, an yeah. ocean, tunnels, yeah. yes, international imagine, border. Yep. I can imagine Aaron exploring those tunnels, you know. Oh, I'd be all over it. Kind it's of awesome. 420 moments in there. Yeah. Know? Oh, well, you know, it's Washington State, so the 420 moments are, yeah. they're here to be had. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm south of you. I'm in California. I'm oh, you got it. You know what it you know it's all about, too. You're in one of the enlightened states then as well. They'll catch yeah. up. The rest of the country is catching up. You guys yeah. got to get on TikTok. Better watch out. That's TikTok? where all the that's where it's all happening these days. I tell well, you. Well, you know what? I do TikTok. a few videos there, right? I've, yeah. put, I've put videos on TikTok, but mine are very deliberate and long, and I realize they're not in the spirit of TikTok. No, you, you know? have to approach it like you have ADD, and the person watching it has ADD, and you also have that memento disease from the film Memento, where you have no short term memory. Yeah, that's how you <laughs> have to make TikToks. Got to tattoo yourself so you remember exactly your name and where exactly. you live. Exactly. Uh huh. I can't yeah. get untracked. Mine are all three minutes. You have to remember to look at the tattoo. That's not an ADD thing. Mine no, are always three minutes long, and the damn. I know. Uh, and I get, and they get half of them I get have an MRI. half of them get muted because of uh, copyright infringement because I use music or something that mm-hmm. you know. Um, you got to not put the music on this clip. I, sure. I hear these, uh, these. I hear these videos where they put you know top. Uh, current music you know yeah i put music on my videos all the time so but it's the length you can't do oh, three minutes you know i might need you to uh, yeah you can't do the whole song maybe that's no one's listening no right. one on tiktok is watching a three-minute video right but i'd be that's curious about how different i mean we released the podcast to listen but he uses video yeah. for advertising so well, i kind of wonder instead how of one three-minute video you could have you know six 15 second videos that's the way yeah tune in oh. for part two and then it's just the next 15 seconds of the previous video mm-hmm. well maybe yeah maybe i'll just uh wipe the whole thing out mm-hmm. chop up those videos and just mm-hmm. redistribute them yeah there you go yeah. and, I, don't and know, but, I don't know whether you want to wipe them out or just leave them there but yeah funny they are funny going funny. forward chop them short okay. just, you got to wait for the punchline sometimes it takes yeah he didn't tell me we had tiktok <laughs> until like last week so mm-hmm. i'm curious the differences between uh your hometown and like seattle i mean is that do you like it's Seattle? close. Yeah, it's I, I like Seattle. It's close. Um, my sister lives in Seattle. Hey, Bryn. Um, it's uh, it's as the crow flies. Seattle is very close, but because of water, that is not an avatar. The way of water plug. That's just water mm-hmm. in general. <laughs> Covers eighty percent of the planet. People, everyone, calm down. But because of the way the landscape is, uh, if I want to go to Seattle, I got to take a ferry, which is cool. I like ferries. Ferries are neat. Mm-hmm. Um. But Seattle's vibe is certainly different. It, there's a lot in common, 
but uh, its vibe is is different than where I live. Um, one of the big things that unites us, though, and this is a shout out to anybody who lives in the Pacific Northwest and is from the Pacific Northwest. If you see somebody walking around with an umbrella, that person is an interloper. They are not from here. Yeah. Yeah. They're a pod person because we don't do umbrellas out here. We just get wet in the rain like normal Pacific Northwesterners. So at least that I have in common with Seattleites. We just get wet in the rain. That's what we do. We live in the rain. We're, we're constantly moist. That's a um, good pro tip. I certainly would not have known that, you know. Yeah, if you ever go to Seattle and you want to be treated like a local, just leave that umbrella at home, you know. Yeah. It's good. good we, uh, do you wear do you wear a hat? I'm wearing a hat right now. Yeah, That's no, you got to you got to do rain. that. I mean, I don't I mean, how how else do you how else do you keep your glasses which I'm also wearing dry, you know? That's the thing. Yeah. I can't keep my glasses dry. Yeah, you got to get a good hat, but not a fedora because that's not a Pacific Northwest thing either. Baseball hats. You see a lot of newsboy hats, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, Seattle and Port Townsend do have a, a, a weird bit in common in that there are pieces of Seattle, old pieces that sort of resemble Port Townsend. What's unique about Port Townsend, um, what makes it special is that when it was booming in the early mid 1800s, um, it was it was growing it was blowing up all these brick buildings and stuff were going up the mansions were being built like i mentioned earlier and then um all of that industry just froze it just hit a wall and froze because they learned the bay wasn't deep enough to support like really big shipping operations the railroad didn't come to port towns and it went to tacoma and seattle instead and as a result the town just hit the bricks um yeah. and so all of those old buildings didn't get knocked down to make way for new buildings as the town continued to grow and progress like Seattle or Tacoma or Olympia. So as a result, Port Townsend kept All its, really old architecture. It's kept its old architecture because everything just fucking dried up and everyone just left until the army came in the early 19s, late 18s and started building Fort Warden. And then there was a huge influx of people, but they were all enlisted and right. they were sort of on the base. Um, and then in like, then the, a paper mill came at one point and someday I'll do a story about the paper mill of a secret history. But the thing with that is it's like, it's really like powerful, like almost like, I don't want to draw a comparison too much, too many comparisons with stranger things. Although I wouldn't mind getting some of that stranger things, uh, the, some of those stranger things viewers on over to my books. Cause there are some similarities, but like how the power plant and Hawkins was very powerful and spooky. Mm. Um, the mill employs a lot of people in this town and at one point more or less carried the town on its back so like if i um were to start casting stones about the mill and all the like spooky stuff that goes on out there that that people know about and then making up stuff that people don't know about like i might i might not come back from one of my north beach walks you know i might drink, yeah. i might i might wash up on the shores of of uh jolly old canada <laughs> don't don't a lot of mills um pollute the water too the creeks that go through them I wouldn't know anything about that, Aaron. Plausible he deniability. He says, he says with a long, pregnant silence. <laughs> Plausible de deniability. I, I don't yeah. go hiking up. There. It's an it's an ecological. Not nightmare. that I wouldn't. It is. It, it really is. Unfortunately, but yeah. it, it employs a lot of people, and they try their best. So we'll see. I, I have a question for you. Are you aware that um, the um, Japanese actually reached the Pacific Northwest during mm -hmm. the night. The yeah. yeah, a lot those, of people don't know that. Yeah, we had the, the fire bombs that came yeah. over on the balloons. Yeah, but for it sure was we during about the. Uh, it, Oregon, unfortunately, right? they missed the yeah. uh, dry season. 
Yeah, they missed the dry season, so they didn't. It didn't have the intended effect. There's also rumors um, because there used to be submarine netting mm-hmm. um, under underwater during during the war. Uh, there's rumors that Japanese subs poked around uh, poked around during the war, right off right off the coast there. Um, Absolutely. Who, know, who who knows if it's actually true or not? I do know that like the Japanese and Chinese uh, immigrants who like especially the Chinese, you know, built a lot of the West Coast, uh, were not treated very fairly no. uh, in this town. And we have a we have a um, a big sports. Oh, it's big, not big. It's big for my town, but it's it's an old sports. It's like the football field in the middle of town. It's called Memorial Field. It's in this neat bowl. And um, it's where like the local football teams playing soccer. And they have like the uh, the when the carnival comes to town, they set up in there and it's cool and, and neat and kind of old and funky. But I didn't know until this is like the America's uncomfortable relationship with the past, which I know like a lot of people are like real up in arms about that right now. And, and if, if you're listening and you're one of those people, honestly, kiss my ass because we should know <laughs> what happened in our own history. It's good for us. It can only be good to know. But I didn't know, and I'm glad I do now, that Memorial Field was actually the site of Chinatown in my town and that there were hundreds of people who lived there and it was burned down mysteriously and they were all run out of town. And I literally did not know that. And I grew up here and I learned it this year. Um, so like just this year wow i know it's just not taught um yeah. but like every place in america port townsend has its its uh very dark history as well like this is the pacific northwest the pacific northwest was obviously home to numerous thriving native tribes as well and um those tribes are not here anymore in the numbers that they were once before so that's another uncomfortable piece of Port Townsend's history. Obviously, I have no, I don't deal with that stuff too much in the secret history. And I was asked very pointedly once by a, a local um, indigenous person if my books would be talking about that. And I told him what I'll tell those in listener land. I'm not the person to tell those stories. I'm not, um, I'm not honestly um, thoughtful and concise and. I don't do that level of research and I don't have that kind of care put into to my stories um, because these are silly entertainment. It's spooky ghost stories. It's mm-hmm. like turn your brain off popcorn stuff. And if if it would be extremely disingenuous of me to work that into these stories um, when there are people who like dedicate their lives to. Yeah. So what I would do instead, and this is why I told him, I will promote their work. I will yeah. use my platform to promote their work. So I have a friend who's working on a history of Port Townsend and when it's done and, and it covers all of that. And when it's done, I'm going to be promoting the shit out of that book. Yeah. Um, but, and because if you were forced yourself to do that, it would probably be, uh, you know, not the best, not your well, best. It, I don't want to be like, I'm not throwing stones at Stephen King or anything, but like how many fucking Stephen King books basically at the end boil down to something, something Indian burial ground, something, something <laughs> Indian magic. And it's like, that's if true. I were to if I were to do that, like he he kind of got away with that because it was a different America when he was writing those books. Mm-hmm. And he probably knew in the back of his mind it's not very fair to do that, but he did it anyway. I'm not gonna do that shit. I'm not gonna blame anything on native mysticism or whatever. It's like all of the ghosts. Another thing that's important to know about the secret history books without getting like too heavily philosophical, it's like all horror should be a metaphor for something else, right? Like ghost stories are almost always actually a metaphor for grief and loss, right? And people coming 
coming to terms with that. So like the first secret history is called the thing army engineers unearthed at Fort Warden. And what it has to do with is two, two men uh, find a tunnel that hasn't really been explored and they go deep underground and they get terribly lost and horrible things happen. And they discover a really, really unsettling mind breaking secret at the bottom of a man-made abyss and it drives them insane and what that book is also sort of talking about is the impact and the like legacy and the physical scar that the u.s military left when they built that installation um the second secret history of fort townsend is about a young woman who lives on her boat in the boatyard in town and she's slowly being squeezed out. When I grew up, there was a whole culture. It's called liveaboard culture. These are people who live on their boats. It's not technically legal. You're not supposed to live on your boat, even though you pay mortgage and upwards of, you know, sometimes four or five, seven hundred dollars a month. Um, you're not supposed to live on your boat. You kind of can sleep there here and there, you know, but you're not supposed to live on it. But there were people who did, and that's really being forced out by like this newer generation of like uh, maritime folks who are like you know, kind of more like weekendwarrior.com sort of people who just think it's neat to get into boating and they don't like that stinky guy at the end of the dock who is an alcoholic and lives on his boat. So the second secret history, um, it deals with that through the lens of a silky, um, which is prowling the waters. And I don't know if you know what silkies are, but they're like uh, Irish mermaids, right? Yeah. So they don't, what is it? A silky is a, it's a, it's a, it's a Celtic kind of mermaid. Um, they turn into seals. Yeah, they're seals in the water, and when they come on land, they shed their seal skin, and their their people are beautiful women usually. And they have to like store their seal skin, or they, they have to hide exactly. They, they have, have to hide their skin. Their skin. Yeah. yeah, and if you find the skin, you trap them in their human form, and and that's like one of the most famous silky myths is like this guy finds the skin and he traps her in her human form and he marries her, right? So there's this forcing somebody to become landlocked that should be of the sea, right? Mm-hmm. By like you're 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 taking away their ability to return to the sea which is sort of the metaphor for like liveaboard culture being like forced out but in my story there's literally actually a silky and somebody actually took her skin and she's actually murdering people to try to get it back it's actually it's i know i'm using actually a lot here but it's a really fucking cool story actually I, really can't, I can't sell i can't <laughs> i can't sell that one enough i love that one it's my favorite so far yeah. um the third secret history is called the witches of morgan hill morgan hill is the rich hill in town or at least it used to be and it sort of still is and um growing up in town people used to live in these old victorian mansions some of them were run as airbnbs or well not airbnbs just bnbs um, but people people lived in them too um now more and more increasingly as is the case across America, not to be like too serious about things, um, a lot of the homes in Uptown Port Townsend and, and on and around Morgan Hill are empty for most of the year because the people who live in them are somewhere else, warm. And then they come here in the summer and they enjoy town and they act like they own it and they make sure no one else can live around them. And they'll put a Black Lives Matter sign up in their front yard, but good luck ever trying to live actually near them or be their neighbor because you've been priced out and the homes are all closed up. So like, the story is about a family trying to live on this hill and run a B and B and all the neighbors are awful to them. And it turns out that all the neighbors are witches and are cursing them and conspiring against them. But the metaphor is NIMBYs, you know, not in my backyard. Like, so 
the secret history books, they have like neat little layers and they need to have this commentary about the town because I live in this town and it's a small town. It's maybe 10,000, 11,000 people. So if yeah. I'm going to tell stories about the town. I also have to tell stories to the people who live in the town or at least stand by those stories when people who live in yeah. town, who are my neighbors and my community members come up to me and say, I read your story. It, there has to be something in there for them as well. So I'm walking, right. a I'm walking a fine line. Like it's, I never thought I would have ended up here because you mentioned the ruins of Mars. Not yeah. Well, I mean, we didn't know where this was going to go. We go where it's a conversation. But I'm all, I'm really curious us. about any stories that are localized that way. Like I would love yeah. any kind. Like when I go to the, the Joseph and Beth, I go to the Cincinnati uh, section mm -hmm. of the store and I look through there and I'm always looking. That's why I like JT Townsend so much, our mm -hmm. crime writer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Stories about Cincinnati mm -hmm. crimes, you know. Yeah. Right. There's and, that local connection. It makes. Yeah. And and if and if you can do it right, like um then next time like a, when a tourist picks up my secret history books because they sell really well in town at the at the bookstore and a couple other stores that carry them um and they sell with tourists i mean in the summer is like awesome business uh i will then get a correspondence from somebody they'll find me through my website mm -hmm. and they'll say like oh i visited port townsend and i've come every year since i was a little kid with my oh. family and i never knew x or y uh until i read your book and right. now i have this cool other uh, appreciation for Port Townsend, which is like, that's exactly what I want to hear when I get an email from a person yeah. as opposed to like, you know, uh, I hate your guts. And, uh, <laughs> hey, whenever we travel, we go like when we go to Williamsburg, we went to uh, Williamsburg, Virginia. I picked up a couple of books there about, mm -hmm. um, then we went to uh, Colonial we, Williamsburg. We the visitor center. And, and, you know, I always pick up a mm -hmm. book wherever I go. Cause when you, when you visit someplace and you can visualize some, uh, areas and then you read about it and then you get that uh, background of the area. it's cool to think too that like probably like me those authors are putting a little bit of local politics in the story too so like in a way you're getting a win a you're getting a little view into that community that mm -hmm. it's like it's it's shrouded in all this other language and stuff but it's there nonetheless right like anybody out there that's listening if you pick up a secret history book they're cool ghost stories a ghost cryptid which is the fourth one I'm working on now. It's about UFOs and the military industrial complex because right mm -hmm. across the water from Port Townsend, literally across the bay, is something called um, Indian Island Naval Magazine. And it's mm -hmm. where nuclear submarines go to drop off their nukes before they head into the bigger cities like Seattle and Bremerton and Olympia. So they leave that shit across the water from us. So we live under the cloud of the military industrial complex out here. No disrespect to our armed service members and men and women who serve this country and fight for our freedom and all mm -hmm. that good stuff. But Sobering. it's a reality. It's a reality of life out here is that yeah. I will look out over the bay on a not uh, on a fairly regular basis. And I will see a nuclear submarine being escorted by swift boats and helicopters and F-15s. That's, that's just crazy. the way life is out here. So it's like, cool. That's the metaphor for the next story, right? Incomprehensibly large machines of war in your environment while you're just really? floating around on a little matchstick boat, right? Yeah. But in this case, it's a UFO. Yeah, it's a UFO. So. I'm, I yeah. live actually about 12 miles as the crow flies from the nation's largest nuclear disaster. Oh, really? Oh, Five Mile it. Island. I didn't yeah. know that. Three, no? Three Mile Island was in Pennsylvania. Oh, that, yeah. that one people knew about. It was right this by This happened Spot before Ranch. that. It was, in, yeah, the Santa Susana Field Laboratory, mm. which is... Um, between Chatsworth and Simi Valley, um, 
north of LA. Yeah. I, I have no um, idea about this. I'm I'm actually really yeah. curious. That is fascinating. I didn't know about it either, so Aaron brought mm-hmm. it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were um they were experimental sodium reactors, I think, something like oh. that. Um so there was no regulation. They didn't have all the built in walls. It's it's really polluted a lot of the land over there. People hmm. can't people still can't live in it. Yeah. And yeah. Boeing is on the hook to clean it up for most Oh, of well that's now you're talking about that. A, there, that's a local. That's a big local company out here where I live. Uh, Boeing, obviously, is from the Pacific Northwest, from Seattle region. And when I used to live, I used to live just south of Seattle in a town called Renton, uh, and they have one of the largest Boeing factories in the country there. And um, at night, always at night, sometimes we would hear this incredible sound. This like I, I can't really describe it, and I won't try to do it because it will just like blow out the mics. But it was this really eerie, weird sound, and all the trees would be blowing one way and then the other way. Like the wind was like cycloning around. Um, and it was always, you could hear the sound was coming from down at the Boeing plant. We always wondered like, what are they doing down there? <laughs> yeah. And Ren- and Renton was an old mining town. Shout out to Renton, Washington. I, I, I miss you from time to time, especially your food. Um, but Renton was an old mining town. And so it was honeycombed also with mines and shafts and all this underground subterranean stuff. Uh, so like, you know, that Boeing, when they moved into the area, just took advantage of all the existing like subterranean, mm-hmm. uh, like I want to use the word architecture, but like, and because who like knows what they buried under there, huh? who knows what they're doing under there right. is what I mean. Like, you know what I mean? Like some it's of like some the Denver of, airports, <laughs> it's like what the hell yeah, is there? You know? what's going on there? Yeah. Right. What are they doing over there? Anyway. Yeah. So a, um, there's a Tom Waits song. I think it's called "What's He Doing in There?" And he's hearing these weird songs. He's going, "What's he doing in there?" Man, Frank Zappa, Tom Waits. We're just going down the list of like Ween? interesting. You know, Ween. Of yeah. course, I know Ween. I'm thirty. I'm in my mid thirties, like you said. That's his wheelhouse. Yeah, I, I I introduced them to Ween on an Aaron's Audio Audibles episode yeah. where oh, we did oh, a deep the mollusk dive. would be perfect for a marine deep dive into the mollusk. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to do that someday. I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to cycle my way back to cryptids and secret history. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to do UFOs. I'm such, I'm like a UFO, like super nerd. I'm, if you've listened to any other of the other podcasts uh, that I've been on, uh, especially shout out to wait, what are you watching? Um, I'm, I'm an alien guy like aliens. They like me. We get along. Um, not that I've ever met one in person unless I didn't know that I was talking to one, but, uh, eventually I'm getting <laughs> to, I'm getting to see monsters because well, you never know, it's, right? It's, it's aliens one and then one <laughs> a is sea monsters, which is kind of like why, it's, uh, there be monsters kind of has both of those things in it too. Yeah. Well, Aaron and Lisa did read there. Be I'm cryptids and witches. Oh, well, you're going to love secret history. Mm-hmm. Two and three specifically. I mean, yeah, there's so many fun. things. I, I'd love to talk about your travel. I love the Let's story. Whatever. Yeah, I'm open for about, uh, and You were in Austria and you found this like. Oh, yeah. It was frozen in time on a hike. That was really cool. Yeah. I, mean, I like to think about all those things. But Aaron and uh, Lisa did read There Be Monsters. I I, I read some, uh, you know, some summaries and, and yeah. read about it and listened to a little yeah, bit. Come of it. on, Phil. No. Get it together. Yeah. Phil's got to do all the editing, man. He doesn't yeah. have time to read. Lisa and I just take the reading load on. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. I'll give I'll Plus, let you go we time, are so. fans of the fiction, and Philip is not really a fiction person. Like, I'm, I'm more, I'm really, I got to tell you, 
I'm more interested in the project about uh, Mr. Uh, Kubiak. Yes. Oh, yes. That, that, that that's interesting. But and that's I want to leave mm-hmm. a little bit of time for that. But let's get into uh, mm-hmm. let's get into there be monsters a bit. Yeah. Happily, cool. Yeah. That, have you sold a hundred thousand copies of that book, or in general? Because that's just a, that's, that's just a large yes. number. <laughs> I'm so glad. I've I've I'm so glad to have the opportunity to contextualize that number. Mm-hmm. Um, there be monsters is new. It's contributing now to the, we passed the 100,000 threshold, but it's a nice round number. So let's just stick with it. Um, it's contributing to my sales for sure. Especially the audiobook is really popular with people um, because the narrator, big shout out to Harry Frost, does an, a phenomenal job, one. And two, he's British. So he sounds so good reading cool name, that book. Dude. Harry Frost, great name, great guy. I love him to death. Harry, if you're listening, I know you are listening. Why wouldn't you? This is a good show. Uh, I love you, man. Thank you for everything. But um, the 100,000 number comes from a combination of sales uh, mm-hmm. and page reads. And mm-hmm. when I say sales, I mean paperback, ebook, audiobook, and page reads um, because Amazon has the Kindle Unlimited program, mm-hmm. which they they rolled out when they had back a few years ago. They used to just do if you had Kindle Unlimited or whatever it's its predecessor was, you could download a book for free. I would get that download. I'd get that sale. They realized they were maybe losing money somehow doing that. So they switched then to page reads. So then I'm paid by the page that's read, right? Which is cute. Pregnant pause. Real Mm -hmm. fucking cute. Anyway, um, (laughs) I can go through and I can see the page reads that each book has had. And I know the page count of each book. So I can then calculate based off how many pages of that book have been read, roughly how many copies of that book have been read, right? That factors into the 100,000 number. So there's going to be people out there that argue, well, what if somebody only read 10% of the book? Well, they would have still bought that book. It still would have been a saint had they bought it before Amazon with its super cute page reads (laughs) program rolled that out. It would have been... It would have been a if they, if they read the whole book, would you make more than the, than the download would have been or less? Uh, no, I make less for sure because the page read. So it's less is, even if they read the whole thing. It's less even if they read the whole thing. Not to get into that's, the politics of Amazon, shitty. which yeah. like Elon Musk is doing an amazing job of taking the heat off of Bezos, who is also <laughs> a monumental fucking asshole. And let's never forget that um, yeah. money hoarding dragon, modern day dragon sitting on his pile of gold. You know, thank you for the ability to self-publish, Jeff. But also, fuck you, um, <laughs> with all your rockets. Jeff, boo, boo. So, like, um, yeah, because like I'm paid by the page when it's done through the Kindle Unlimited program. Um, and also, if you're out there in listener land and you are a Kindle Unlimited person, don't worry about it. It's not your fault. You know, just keep reading because every page matters and you are helping people with your reads and they, and you can't control that. And I can't control that. So keep reading. Um, but before the page reads program was on, was unveiled. Yes. I was making more per download for sure. Um, because the page read amount that I'm paid, it fluctuates month by month based off how many people are enrolled in the program. So there's the nuts and bolts of how that works. Well, thanks for that. I have no idea. It's a moving target. Then it's a bit of a moving target. It's hard to, it's hard to exactly judge so when you do your marketing like i do yeah you kind of have to take you you gotta keep uh one hand on the steering wheel but you keep it on the steering wheel loosely and you're ready to quickly adjust if you need to that having been said 
um, I'm still super fucking proud of the numbers that I've been able to achieve because I am self-published. Uh, there Be Monsters was published locally um, by a publisher called Winter Texts. Big shout out to Winter Texts. Connor, if you're listening, and I know you are, why wouldn't you? Great program. I love you, man. Thank you for helping me achieve that. You're hitting all our regular listeners here. It's amazing. It's like symbiotic. Yeah, all these people are getting... Um, so like yes, uh, Cincinnati podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's reach as far, you know, the internet has no yeah. uh, bounds. Uh, but before there be monsters was picked up by winter texts, which has since actually reverted to Rainier Augusta independent publishing where all my other books are now held. Um, I was self-published. So the ruins of Mars trilogy, which are my best-selling books because they're the oldest books I've written. Um, I did that on my own. Um, and I, I tried to go the route of getting an agent and, um, since I've already expressed, you know, I've already showed you out in listener land, like the, the side of me that's bitter and full of rage with my rant against Bezos mm -hmm. and Musk, I won't go into agents and my feelings on them and my thoughts on them and traditional publishing in general. But let's just say that, um, self-publishing was not plan a, but I'm really actually glad that I was shunted off into that, mm -hmm. uh, because it enabled me to find this huge, huge um, base of readers who had more or less like either didn't care about traditional publish publishing um, or had like kind of given up on it or didn't feel like they were being serviced by it. Let's just say that. Or maybe um, be biased for self-publishers. Because know, for like, I mean, yeah. with traditional publishing, and again, I'm going to just try tread super lightly because I, I, the, the Kubaki, Kubaki book, which you mentioned, you know, that's being shopped around. So I don't want to. I don't want to like burn too many bridges, but like um, that, that world is really dominated by um, it's really dominated by nepotism with, and who, you know, and who you're related to and all of that shit. So I'm not, right. I, I'm, I remember you said something about uh, celebrity children are the only, yeah, on a, yeah, right. Exactly. So I'm not anybody's famous son. I love my dad, but he's not famous in the publishing world or or anything like that. So <clears throat> there's no low-hanging fruit for me where that's concerned. I got to make my own way. And because of that, I have made my own way. And, it, and it's enabled me to really forge my own brand, which is now, uh, thankfully, has found a home with Rainier Augusta Independent Publishing, um, which I'm really happy about that. But with The Ruins of Mars, that was just that was just like firing something into the dark and 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 wondering what was going to happen and then finding out, you know, weeks and months later that you'd hit a bullseye and didn't, that you yeah. didn't even know was out there, you know? Um, and I think the, the sci-fi community and especially the, the Mars, you know, fascination, right. really that that's where you hit the mark on that. Right. Because science fiction and, and reality we, we merge at Mars because yeah. of the rovers and all the it's photographs. There. And you mentioned it's, yeah, you mentioned the rovers when the ruins of Mars one came out, was the same year that Curiosity landed. Uh, so, and also Andy Weir, another self-published author, not for nothing. He's now since been picked up traditionally because he showed that he was commercially viable, but nobody gave him the fucking time of day until he blew the lid off uh, right. the sales records with his, with, with The Martian is what I'm saying. Right. Uh, the major motion picture adaptation of The Martian came out that year as well. So Mars was on the mind of America and the ruins of Mars came out and it just sort of like, it all just came together so perfectly. And um, I don't want to spoil it for you, Lisa, but the Ruins of Mars 1 ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. So, yeah, um, I know. Okay. Just, like, uh, just like There Be Monsters did. 
Hey, yeah, you got that. I like, you know, it's a, it's a, not, it's not a, to be a spoiler, but read the book. It's good. Yeah. It's, it's, it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger for sure. It leaves it open to how, however you might want to imagine things go. Now, how I, deep do you dive into the, I'm sorry, the science? Well, with the ruins of Mars. Of tech. Yeah. yeah. Science yeah. Of, of ripped fabrics in space time and well, time yeah. travel. Mm -hmm. Well, who's to say I'm not actually a time traveler? No, yeah. but uh, ruins of Mars, I went really deep with the science because mm -hmm. I was really, I was very inspired by um, Arthur C. Clarke and Ben Bova. Arthur C. Clarke is like a legitimate uh, saint. Hard sci-fi. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, not only did he write some of the best science fiction that continues to influence sci-fi to this day. He wrote real science articles too. Yeah. He did that as well. And also he like, he, he's uh instrumental piece of the puzzle that led to satellite technology. Like when he was a radio engineer during World War II, he got the idea of bouncing radio signals off the moon to to other places on Earth further than they could travel if they just beamed them from a tower. And the moon is a satellite, FYI, because it fits the definition of what a satellite is. So right. it's like he had that idea. And that has since, you know, he's credited for... And it's put into a production. Yeah. It's been credited. Yeah, he's been credited. He also, one of his best books ever, The Fountains of Paradise, um, talks about this idea of building a space elevator. There are points on the planet Earth, you know, where uh, if you put something, if you if you put a satellite above that point on Earth, and then you connected that satellite all the way down to the Earth, because the way the Earth spins and because of that point, um, you could run stuff up and down mm. like an elevator between those two points. Wow. Um, and they're they're like literally trying to figure that out now. And that was when one of his books forever ago, uh, The Fountains yeah. of Paradise is called the book is the book. So he was a huge influence and he would do this thing where he would. What I really loved about Arthur C. Clarke is that he had a lot of hope. And I feel that's something that's sort of missing in sci fi these days, mm -hmm. um, especially More dystopian as, now. Right? We've gone and down the dystopian road. And James Cameron once said, and it's not James Cameron you can talk about way of water, but it's not James Cameron who came up with this, but he said it. And it, it's always stuck in my mind because I he was the one who said it that I heard him from um, that science fiction is a rep is a is a reflection of of the era in which it was written. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. if you're right, if you're reading a lot of dystopian sci-fi, that's because it's written during a time when people are feeling pretty shitty about the future. Uh, if you're reading sci-fi, that's hopeful, like technology is going to save us, not kill us. Then it's written during a time when people are very excited by the new technologies that are coming out. So like Arthur C. Clarke kind of represents that mm -hmm. um, era in sci-fi for me, at least. And when I set out to write The Ruins of Mars, I wanted to be hopeful. Um, there's plenty of like strife and political, geopolitical um, strife and even some like apocalyptic, excuse me, stuff in the Ruins of Mars trilogy. Lots of it. I mean, one of the books even has the word apocalypse in the title, the mm -hmm. third one. But like the underlying theme is that there is hope, you know, and that's what you should focus on and that's what you should strive for. Um I know that there's the phrase these days, toxic positivity, and I don't want to be accused of having toxic positivity, but I am generally a hopeful person. And I think that it makes its way into my fiction, whether or not I want it to. Yeah. Yeah. I like your use of AIs. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a thread throughout Star Wars too, Hope. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And Star Trek too. And yeah. Star Trek. Star Trek definitely. Wasn't one of them called A New Hope? Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, yeah the first Star Wars movie. It was called A New yeah. Hope, exactly. Uh Lisa, a lot of people like the AI and I like, I love the idea of AI. It's obviously gone in a different direction. Well, we'll see where it goes, but 
I, yeah. I, I had so much fun writing those AI characters that um, I have never been able to fully walk away from the Ruins of Myers trilogy, even though I always told myself it's going to be this contained three book trilogy. Mm-hmm. There was so much potential left on the table, um, especially at the end of the trilogy where th- with, with the AI, the way they develop over the trilogy that mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, it's not quite I'm a, a, I'm a huge fan of five book trilogies. Uh, it's not, I mean, yeah, exactly. You join, the, it's not, you join the ranks of Douglas Adams and David Eddings. I'll I'll say this on the on air because I've I've mm-hmm. already kind of teased it on one of my Facebook mm-hmm. pages. Like there is another Ruins of Mar- of Mars book. It's in development. You know, I'm going to mm-hmm. write it. I want it to be one book, but it has the potential to be two. So maybe it will be like you mentioned a five book trilogy. All right, mm-hmm. perfect yeah. reveal. Mm-hmm. You know what? People listen to this show all the time. They expect us at the one hour and seven minute mark to say that we're talking <laughs> to Dylan Quarles, yeah, author of nine books, best-selling. The one hour and a half mark. Yeah, some you know, but typically <laughs> one hundred seven, right? You know, but the uh, winner of the two thousand twenty-one BIBA award. Yep, um, best best indie book award. Right. The Biba. The Biba. So. Um, mm-hmm. so the book uh, takes a lot of your personal experiences with, uh, uh, you know, sailing, sailing, and uh, Oats. yeah, yeah, and and, and mm-hmm. definitely incorporates that. Mm-hmm. And there is, as we talked about, the fabric of time and, mm-hmm. and um, being uh, breached. You know, uh, yeah, you know, we don't re- reveal too much about the book, but um, it takes place in both 1985 and 16. 16- um, in the 16th century. Right. It brings people right, together yeah. from different, you know, periods of time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Lisa, you're you're currently reading The Ruins of Mars. Um, yes. And I'm really excited to see if you find the connection between The Ruins of Mars and Every Monsters, because this is a spoiler. This is not a spoiler. This is something I, I wish mm-hmm. people would pick up on more. Mm-hmm. All of my books are in a shared universe. Well, now I'll, I'll look into it. Are the, so are the man-eaters Martian? Oh, I wish. The Martian Maneaters, you mean? I don't want to get sued by DC. I know you're a Disney guy. You could do what you can to protect me, but you can't keep me safe from them. Uh, no, it's the there's there's certainly is uh, there. There is a critical plot point in um, There Be Monsters. The one of the big MacGuffins of the book uh, is something that comes from the Ruins of Mars mm-hmm. trilogy. So um, put that in your pocket. Stick I'll, that in your pocket. I'll, I'll look for that. I don't always... I am ADD. I do have ADD. I have an MRI to prove it. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, so I don't always, I'll, I'll, I'll find details that no one else would ever notice and completely miss the, you know, the elephant in the room. Yeah. This one's yeah. pretty hard to miss, but maybe, I mean, you'll see. Okay. I'm just curious, Probably. you know, drop, drop me a line when you're, when you're in the okay. trilogy and you think you've hit the, the Easter egg that's there. Okay. Luck is elemental. It isn't personal. I love that. I mean, like even my uh, even my urban fantasy one off that I that I did after I published the Ruins of Mars, after I finished publishing the Ruins of Mars, the man from Rome, which I stand by. I love that book. Harry Frost. Again, he did the audiobook for that. And it is a banging audiobook. Like it is great. He kills it. Um, this title, I think it was Marcel Marstriano, eight and a half weeks. Wonder movie uh, with Ursula Andress and Marstriano. Yeah. Is that Roman Holiday? No, no, no. He wouldn't be thinking of Roman Holiday. It takes, but it takes place in Rome, and mm-hmm. 
It's not the man from Uncle, is it? No, no, no. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Proceed. It wouldn't be science fiction. <laughs> yeah. Or oh, okay. That genre. Yeah. The 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 man from Rome. I'll tell you right now. Was intended to be like a one-off kind of thing, but um, I couldn't mm-hmm. help myself, and so I started tying it in weirdly to the ruins of Mars, and then there be monsters has uh mentions characters from the man from Rome, specifically the man himself. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't a spoiler because it's just like a weird scene from the book, but like when Cesare, mm-hmm. um, which some people think it's Cesare, but that's fine. It's spelled weird. Mm-hmm. It's an Italian mm-hmm. name. When Cesare is telling Jonah a story about a painter that paints these weird myth- mythology paintings um, mm-hmm. that are like myths, but they have a twist on them. Uh, like he's talking about the man from the man from Rome, who is this like immortal that no one knows about because he doesn't have a name because he doesn't want to be remembered like the other immortals have been. But like, even then I couldn't help myself. My sci-fi brain was like, I don't want to do immortals. Like they're gods, literally they're interdimensional beings that slip through cracks in reality because I cannot help myself. Everything has to be a little bit sci-fi, even if it's fantasy, it has to be sci-fi E a mm-hmm. little. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm it. cool with that. I got it. Tenth victim. Have you ever I don't seen know. It? I'm not. No, I'm not familiar. Man, with that's Sirianni a... and Ursula Andress. He's uh, he's got a thing for Ursula Andress. It's not the best film, but it's shot in Rome. You know, it's against the Colosseum. And... I'm sold, sold. I've been to Rome uh, many, many times. It is my favorite city on earth. And uh, if it's there, if it's filmed there, I'm watching it. That's just the way it is. That's really cool. It's, it's shot really well. It's like, I don't know, but it's really kind of a B movie, I guess. You know, it's about. Said, it doesn't matter. It's a B movie in an A city. So there you go. Yeah. But it's a lot. It's very ch- tongue in cheek. At least it's, it's not a D it's movie. It's funny. But, you know, it probably really does not resemble your novel at all. But the title actually just <laughs> reminded me. <laughs> yes. But. Uh, yeah, um, your, your loyalty is both commendable and condemnable. That was another cool line. That is cool. Love that. So, you know, we're not going to reveal much, too much about the uh, the book, other than you know we set up the uh, the scenario. Oh, Aaron, there. that's a quote from my book. Yeah. Oh, of course I knew that. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> I know what part you're talking Aaron, about. He's like, Aaron, he said Aaron that, notices I'm like, all I'm like, the Easter like, eggs. Sounds- Pretty badass. I wonder, is that from that movie that I was <laughs> just maybe. talking about? No, and then I'm like, ass. wait, I recognize that's that line. <laughs> another, another one. Uh, that's it. You're that's no a prophet, ca- Kroger. You're a profiteer. Yes, of course. Love that. I love a good turn of phrase. I can't help myself. Well, okay. So as we wind down here, let's talk a little bit about your book about Stephen Kabaki. I will say what I can. How about that? Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I did read that uh, you you knew him for a while before you even dreamed of writing a story about him, right? I mean, that's very true. Yeah, I can. So I can say I can talk about stuff that's like let's see, let for my how. benefit. Who is he? <laughs> okay, so Steve Kubaki. I can. How about this, Phil? I can say all the things that are said on my website and that are said around the corners of the internet that you can read. I'm under contract, so there's some stuff I can't say, and I'll just gotcha. let you know when I run into one of those. Okay. Uh, Steve Kubaki. Stephen Kubaki, as I knew him, uh, is a um, psychologist, psychoanalyst, mm-hmm. practicing psychoanalyst. Uh, and uh, we don't use the word shaman because that's been appropriated and twisted and it's been messed around. But he's uh, he's a very, uh, we do a lot of like meta, metaverse meta stuff, mystical. you know, like mystical guided imagery, past life regression, uh, astral projection, um, string theory informed kind of 
practices, a little bit of Don Juan Castaneda stuff, let's say. Ayahuasca um, DMT. <laughs> well, I'll just leave that up to your imagination. But um, I knew Steve for so 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 Steve. I knew him for many years. Um, mm-hmm. He's my friend, and I, I have a background in that stuff as well. Uh, it informs my writing. You'll notice, Lisa, as you continue to read the Ruins of Mars, it continues to get more and more into studies of consciousness because I'm, I'm, I'm very fascinated with that, um, and it's a personal crusade of mine uh, and passion. So Steve and I were working together for many years on that front, uh, and then my wife learned through vaguely um, mystical means i.e. she had a dream uh she's a she's an uh a, a monumental lucid dreamer like i've never met anybody who can dream like she can and control her dreams so she had this dream that steve approached her and needed her help and he was dressed as like a monk and so they were in contact with one another over a writing project she was helping him do some editing on it mm-hmm. and she asked him hey have you ever been a monk i had this dream about you and he said no but you know, he gave her this very Steve Kubaki answer about like events in the dream world are not on a linear timeline. And so could have been future me or past me or parallel me. Very Steve stuff um, right there. And um, so she was a little dissatisfied with that answer. So she Googled him. And um, I don't know why I never thought to do that myself. I'd known him for six years. We were we met regularly to to do this work, as I call it. Um, and it was work. It's not easy. And it it comes with perils and it takes it its toll. Um, and I never knew this side of him. I never thought to ask or Google him. And she learned from a quick Google search, as you can do out there in the world, his name's Stephen Kubaki, K-U-B-A-C-K-I, Kubaki, that he had disappeared in 1976 uh, for over 15 months and then re-emerged in a field with no memory of where he'd been for the last 15 months. He disappeared while cross-country skiing across the frozen tundra of Lake Michigan in an area that is known as the Michigan Triangle, which is like one of these triangles that exist in various places across the earth, including in my book, There Every Monster is the Bermuda Triangle. So things happen in triangles that are unexplainable and weird. The Michigan Triangle is one of these places as well. Um, so Steve vanished uh, the Vikings and, pointed out it's Apollo, right? Well, yeah, right. The and, sign of Apollo, the mark book. of Apollo. Mm-hmm. Exactly, the mark of Apollo, right? Triangles. The, the, and there the, be monsters. The Delphic mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sign of the sign of Delphi, the sign of Apollo. Right. So Steve disappeared. This is all. This is all real. This isn't fic- fiction that I've created like my other books. And I knew him. And when my wife learned about this and she told me, I was totally flummoxed because as you'll know from listening to other podcasts I've been on, I have a penchant for conspiracy theories, the harmless kind, not the kind that lead people to think that there's been some sort of massive election fraud with absolutely no evidence to to support that. And then they then go and commit violence against people in the Capitol. Not that kind of conspiracy theory. Those people need to get help. I'm talking about the kind where it's like, oh, gee, isn't it funny that I live in the Pacific Northwest and all these people talk about Sasquatch? I'll read some articles about Sasquatch. I'm not like going to like hurt people. You know what I mean? I'm into that kind of conspiracy theory. So I know a bit about the Michigan Triangle because that falls under that category of conspiracy theory, the kind that doesn't like affects my ability to operate as a human being in society, you know, like Like the concept that um, people that uh, 
If, and you know that it's his, a theory. By the you don't accept that it, it's fact. Yeah, theory is the is the operative word. So when mm-hmm. I heard about Steve and I went and looked it up myself, there are hundreds of conspiracy theories out there about what happened to him. Everything from he was abducted by aliens to he stepped into a parallel dimension because of the Michigan Triangle, because there's a lot of weird stuff that's happened there. So it's really fueled a lot of speculation and the fact that he claims no memory of the events. Um, so I asked him the next time that we got together, um, what happened? And he said, well, let's talk about it. Well, I'll right. tell you. And so he did. And that conversation that we had that series of conversations uh <clears throat> turned into the manuscript that is it's gone through several names <clears throat> excuse me one of them being uh the quantum biography of Stephen kubaki is one of the working titles the other is the mysterious case of Stephen kubaki just look for the name Stephen kubaki the book will be out under that you'll be able to find it that way like well, I said, this is his age roughly when this happened. Oh, uh, he was in college. Yeah. He was sorry, I should have mentioned that. He was a, early he was a college. 20s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a college student at the um at Hope University in Holland, Michigan. Kind of reminds me like a DB Cooper or you know Yeah, a lot of people have drawn that. Yeah. The Grand Duchess Anastasia or something. You know, just a mystery that's uh Unsolved shrouded mystery thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a disappearance, a shrouded mystery, and the fact that he reemerged. You know, I mean, people go missing all the time, and then they're never heard from again, and you're just like left to wonder. But they, but you knew him and had no idea about. I had no idea that he had had this funny. episode, and there right. was like a manhunt, like Elvis, know? Andy Kaufman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there was an outright <laughs> like there was helicopters and spotter planes and divers and dogs and, mm-hmm. you know, search parties. It was a huge deal. And when he reemerged, right. it was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And um, he maintained uh, that he did not remember where he'd been other than a few kind of like very vague, like feelings that he had had during his time away. So when I asked him though, given the nature of the work that we'd done together, given the nature of our relationship, he felt comfortable and, in in revealing a bit more than he had ever done before publicly and then over time as we continued these conversations the book is presented in the form of conversations and um as you you got an exclusive i got an exclusive but you know um no no i have no bitter no no bad blood about it the the in order to attract the kind of representation that this book needs to get a wide release it's had to go through some revisions in terms of the point of view so i've over time taken more and more and more and more of a secondary to backseat role in the telling of the story um but people who are familiar with my work will recognize my fingerprints all over it um um, so take that for what it's worth. Like, I don't want to use the word ghost writer because I'm not a ghost writer. Um, but like, you know, like I said in another podcast, you know, unless your last name is somebody famous, they don't give a shit about you. So I'm not quite famous enough yet to tell that story. Uh, yeah. So I'm my fingerprints are all over it. Let's just say that if you read my work and you read this book, you'll be aware of how much I had to do with the writing of it. Yeah. Well, it's tantalizing. It's a tantalizing, you know, just what you've told us. We tell story. it all. We tell the truth. It's all there. Let's just say that. Like I told you, I'm under contract, so there's stuff I can't say. What I can say is uh, you will get, you will learn what happened. You will know. You Best. will know the answers. Yeah. yeah. It, it's biography. I and mean, that's what I like. Yeah. Well, but, and let me ask you this. The um, the regressions, the mystical trips, the, sure. yeah. 
did is he into that because he wants oh, yeah. to know? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a, well, sometimes it's not always a matter of, matter of wanting to know something, right? Like sometimes you're just in a situation, you're in a position where stuff is happening to you. Yeah. And because uh, it is, you have to meet that challenge, right? Like, right. You just you have to meet that challenge. Like, I, I read a, a book called The Omega Project. Um, I can't remember the author's name. He talks about. He's a psychologist. He talks about the. Um, parallels between people who have had a near-death experience you know died and been resuscitated and yet come back with memories from that time when they were technically medically dead Mm -hmm. so people who've had path uh uh people who've had near-death experiences people who report to have been abducted by uh aliens people who report to have been you know abducted by aliens um close encounters of the fourth kind and people who uh practice shamanism and or like live a shamanistic life um he says there's a parallel between all there's a parallel that that unites all of these people even though they seemingly come from such diverse backgrounds and that is they are experiencing a more deep and broad reality than the average person who doesn't believe in those things and at the end of the day it's all about your experience with reality and your interpretation of it right like an apple is an apple an apple is red because everybody says it's red but if you see an orange instead of an apple then you're experiencing reality differently right like so if you don't believe in alien abductions then you live your life like somebody who doesn't believe that can happen but if you believe you are being abducted by aliens that is going to take your universe and it's going to expand it in a big way because uh, you think it's happening to you, that opens a whole new set of ramifications. Okay, who are the aliens? What are they? Where do they come from? What kind of culture do they have, right? Like it forces your reality to get bigger because you're experiencing these things. So Steve is one of those people. He comes from one of those kind of more than one of those three um, right. types of archetypes of folks who are living a more expansive reality than your average person who is skeptical or whatever just has never had those experiences and it's no fault through no fault of their own i also happen to fall into that category i will say it's not abducted by aliens but you know i'm living in a broader reality than most and it doesn't affect it doesn't affect my like day-to-day life or anything it just affects the way i think about and look at the universe and my place in it or reality i should say people want to know more about kabaki he wrote a book metaphor Meta mathematical foundations of existence. Yeah, you can uh, read about it. Yeah, that would and be. I, I encourage you to read that book uh, if you're interested in his story, because it will not only leave you with more questions than answers, it will contextualize further uh, the book that we have written together when it inevitably hits bookshelves. Sort of serve as a foundation. It'll just tell you, it'll help you understand a little bit the way this guy operates in the in world reality in the world. Yeah. And, yeah. and the way he, he, the way he views uh, his place in, in reality and in the world. Man, there's so much, I mean, this, I feel like we're, we're leaving stuff on the table. You know, you have to though, you have to leave a little you have on the to, table. You have to step away, but it's been like a really enlightening really? conversation. Yeah. Really enjoyed this. This has been mm-hmm. great. Very vigorous. So, um is there any is there any uh social media uh websites that you would like to promote anything yeah let's see there's um my website dj q fiction 
you can read about all my books there, including the Kubaki book. It's mm-hmm. You're going to find it under the working title because I haven't updated my website yet because we really don't know what way we're going with this, um, with everything that's going on with shopping it around right now with publishers. DJQFiction.com, I assume? DJQFiction.com is right. That's D Delta J. I don't know what that is. And Q you know, like Dairy Queen. Yeah. So uh, DJQFiction.com, find me there. You can read about all my books. There's also a little bit there about um, Rainier Augusta Independent Publishing, forever grateful for them. Um, and you can read about the Steve story as it develops. Uh, and that's where you'll also find links to the various podcasts I've been on. This mm-hmm. podcast will go there um, when it's up and live. I'll, I'll provide mm-hmm. a link to it there. Yeah. And um well, no, we all... don't do live, people. We do edit it. Uh, when, it's, <laughs> when it's up and available. Too. When it's up yeah. and available, right? When it when it makes its way out to the public. Uh, I You can also find me social media-wise. You can find me Dylan James Quarles on Facebook. So facebook.com slash Dylan James Quarles. Um, you can find The Ruins of Mars on Facebook. Same way, facebook.com slash The Ruins of Mars. And I found uh, it on Audible, and I'm enjoying it thoroughly. I'm glad to hear that. Um, Stephen Cooper did the audio work for that book and he was an absolute pleasure to work with as well steven if you're mm-hmm. listening and i know you are thank you forever. Hi, uh you can also find me on tiktok i'm having a good time on tiktok at author dylan james quarles uh i post a lot of content there because like you said i'm a uh, i'm a film school guy so uh tiktok is a natural was a natural medium for me to integrate into my whole marketing campaign because i love making movies and i love making short quick movies um but yeah, those are the those are the easiest and best places to find me right now, and all that can be found through my website. That's probably the best thing to lead with. Right. Mm-hmm. Aaron, do you have any parting words for Dylan? Uh, I enjoyed the book. I encourage everybody to read it. Lisa, do you have anything that you wanted to? Um, I just my last question is usually: Is there anything we didn't touch on that you would like to touch on? I think we covered it all. I mean, we talked about secret history. That's humming along. I'd love for people to keep looking forward to that i'd love for people to keep i'd love to keep elevating port townsend's um Mm -hmm. profile Mm -hmm. and um there be monsters obviously i i'm it's tough it's a tough sell with novels it's weird it's like people will buy a six dollar short story that's ten thousand words they'll spend ten dollars on it in town for the paperback they won't even blink no big deal i do and then you say, well, here's a $15 novel that's 400 pages. And they'll look at you like you want them to like climb Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. It's such a, which is sort of why I've slowly made this shift towards short stories right now, as I am getting my business really up and running and my LLC, it's like, I, I would love for more people to read there. I mean, monsters, it's a tough fucking sell. People are like, I don't want to read a book. I would rather read a Short story. And so it's like, I well, miss, then I'm going to write you short stories. The existence of short stories, really. Mm-hmm. All the magazines that used to carry them are kind of gone. It's true. You know? Yeah. There's a Z, there's a magazine locally called Straight Up that has been bugging me to break up some of the secret histories into small pieces and put them out. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, but also fuck you, pay me. Kind of. It's yeah. like, I, I don't necessarily want to do it because like they're selling so yeah. well in the bookstores in town and if they're, if they're online, not going to pay you. Yeah. And they don't really want, they want to sort of like, they think it's like scratching oh, we'll scratch your back and we'll get you like notoriety. And it's like, but I don't necessarily need you, you know? So it's like, yeah. You, know, you, could, you could write a little one-off teaser for, you know, 
Yeah, yeah, I could do something like that. I mean, I had a buddy tell me like, oh, you just kind of like do the abridged version, you know, for mm -hmm. them. And then you tell you, if you want to know more, get the That's real it. version over here. Yeah. And I've thought about that. Yeah. But at the same time, something it's like. Something that ends up being like the forward to the book. Or, there's you know, only so many hours in the day, you know, and I have to like yeah. write. Especially when you're doing these podcasts. Tonight, right? I got to do secret <laughs> histories and I got to do Ruins of Mars 4 and I got to do podcasts and I got my own podcast. I'm trying to get off the ground and I got all. We're yeah, we're off the air. Don't worry, the gods. Did you ever make sweet, sweet love in a green Godzilla suit? That's what I have to ask you. <laughs> and if not, why? Not. <laughs> why not? <laughs> On that note, that's a mic drop. I think I'm out of. <laughs> we have social Twitter. Yeah, uh huh. Pod Instagram. Yeah, uh huh. Pod Facebook. Yeah, uh huh. Pod website www.yeah-uh-huh.com. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week. Hey.